I think uh, black men have oftentimes just, we've been seen as one dimensional. Mm-hmm. Like I still, I still feel like in church, I'm fighting for people to see me as a whole person. Hello, everyone. My name is Nikki Washington. Welcome to Let Me Find Out, a witty take on life and culture. This is my guest, Carl Mayberry. I want to call him the Great Reverend, but I know that's not his name. He don't like that. But nevertheless, (laughs) um, I want Carl to introduce himself outside of what I know him to be um, a minister and co-laborer in the faith. I want people to know who you are and where you started. So feel free to take the floor, Carl. Okay. Well, like I said, I'm Carl Mayberry. Uh, I started out in ministry at the ripe old age of 16 years old. Licensed oh, you were one of them preachers. I was one of those, <laughs> one of those preachers okay. who had a gift and a couple of dreams and maybe two good revelations and didn't really know much beyond that. Um, <laughs> but I had a, a real hunger. Don't we all, Carl? Isn't that how we all start off? <laughs> that's, like, that's I got busy. it here. Right. And if anybody tell you different, they're lying. Exactly. <laughs> but, exactly. Uh, but yeah, so I started out and I, uh, a huge part of me was I wanted to be, because I grew up, of course, in that young, being a young minister and having a lot of questions. My local church, uh, they couldn't answer the questions I was asking. Um, and my youth pastor was like, you need to go to seminary because you're asking questions that that they can answer. And he really directed me on that path. Right. And so I, I wanted to be and I've kind of set out in my life to be someone who can be in the local church, who could answer those questions for 16 year old me. You know, so so when people come through and they're having these conversations about their salvation uh, or whatever, and they're trying to make it make sense because they may read something in the Bible that they don't see necessarily mirrored in front of them. I want to kind of be able to be that bridge in that space to help them fill in, fill in those gaps. Um but yeah, that's that's who I am. Of course, I've had a bunch of jobs because when you're a minister, you work a lot. Because uh, <laughs> boy, listen, we could write a book about that right there. <laughs> which is ironically for the audience, how uh, Carl and I met. We were both working for a pair ministry, which were main nameless <laughs> in Atlanta, <laughs> and we met by doing youth ministry that way. And yeah, you do work a lot of jobs. You are right. So, are you currently working in ministry, or are you working? Uh, voc- uh, where are you at? Bivocational. So yeah. I, of course, you know, have a corporate job and then I have uh, a job at my church, go to United Church here in Atlanta. Come visit. Okay. Um, pastor Arthur Breland's the pastor. Good Come on, friend you better shout your yeah. pastor out I'm first. I'm telling you, him, him <laughs> and Jaleesa Breland, let me shout them both out. Yeah, great uh, on fire. Uh, but yeah, we're here and we're in, we're actually in Atlanta. I know a lot of people say like we're at it, you know, they come to Atlanta, like my church is in Atlanta. No, we're we're okay, in Alberta. Atlanta. <laughs> right, right. College Park is not exactly. Atlanta. Is that what you're right, saying? Exactly. That's not what I'm saying. Right. <laughs> We are in Atlanta. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, so I serve there as a discipleship pastor, um, and I oversee the, those programs and help with some of the leadership and on the leadership team, and I love it, yeah. So what if you had to classify the type of church you are a part of and the church that you grew up in, for context, I think it's important, was it multicultural? Was it a Black church? What was the, the demographic? I, I grew up in Black church. I was... Yeah, my, my, my first church experience was my grandmother taking me to New Jerusalem Missionary Baptist Church. Oh, nothing. Okay. Reverend James James H. McMurray. Yeah, I still remember all that. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. Yeah, that that and I don't want you guys to think that I was like a, a like I love I hated going to church. Like I did not like it. Yeah. You know, it it was not until I, I encountered Jesus. Like what I was, age were you when you started going? Like your mom just from the time you could remember or no, so um 
I don't want to put mother's business out here too tough, but we would go to my grandmother's house on the weekends and that's how we went to church. Yeah. yeah. Um, so my mother kind of went off and on not so much, but my grandmother was really the first person to get us that I can remember like actively involved in, in church and, and going to church and having to do those Easter programs and Christmas stuff and all that. Wow. Um, yeah. And then uh, it wasn't until around my teenage years when I was uh, playing basketball and liking girls and we had moved back to Atlanta that I went to another church and stayed for those two reasons, basketball and girls. <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> yeah. okay. and, uh, and in that, uh, in those pursuits, I encountered the Lord or Jesus, mm. you know, met me. And, okay. th- and that radically changed my, my way. Then I was going to church by myself, you know. Wow. You know, they say, um, I, I can't remember this, the data, but I remember when I was working for that ch- pair ministry, um, mm-hmm. I realized that most, I think it's something like 80% or 77% of people come to know Christ in their formative teenage years. If, if And if you don't know Christ, but I want to say it was like 19, I could be wrong about that. I know the data has changed, but at the point mm-hmm. where I read, it was like, if you don't know Christ by age 19, you're drastically less likely to get to know him. So mm-hmm. like, that's why youth ministry is so important, which you're, you prove the case that ministry, youth ministry is so, so important. When did you realize it wasn't your grandma's salvation and when your mama's salvation, but it was truly like your relationship with God that you were walking in? This is the, the God of Six Flags story. This is, this is who it is. So the God of, wait, 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 the, the God the of? Six Flags, the okay. God of Six Flags. Let okay. me, yeah. Let me tell you, this is my this is my youth ministry, youth, youth, youth on fire niece, you know, learning about fasting and praying and going, all right, well, I'm gonna try this fasting and praying because not because I want a deep revelation, because I wanted to go to Six Flags. I just wanted to go to Six Flags. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> you go, right? This is, a, this is a story about how the Lord will meet you where you are. And um, hey, hey, yeah, and, he will. Yeah, he will, I, boy. Okay. This I have a wide demographic. There's somebody who's who's uh young that needs to hear this. Go I'm ahead, read. My, <laughs> my first time, I may have been 13, 14, or whatever the case would be. Wanted to go to Six Flags. I didn't have the money, didn't have a job at the time because I was still, you know, middle school age playing basketball, all that stuff. And I said, I'm gonna pray and fast. Turns out the day that you know everybody's going to Six Flags, my stepdad comes in and says, Hey. You want to go to Six Flags? And I say, I don't have any money. He says, yeah, I know. I'm paying. And everybody's going. I got a van full. Let's go. And that moment, I was like, you, you really <laughs> God, he's a wonder, ain't he? And I said, you are. I said, I know Abraham got, uh, Moses got the burning bush. You know, Abraham got the ram. You are the God of Six Flags. I will forever remember. <laughs> I will the forever God of him. Six Flags. That's a blog post. That's a blog post right there. The God of Six Flags. How I came to know him. And that was formative. Like whenever I got into the place where I was like, I don't know if God cares enough about me or if he'll do this. I was like, man, he met me for for a roller coaster. Surely, (laughs) you know. (laughs) You know what? That's a good object lesson though. (laughs) Yeah. There really is. He met you at a roller coaster. He can do anything. Mm, so I really think that's a blog post, which is a great segue into your blog. I want to talk about it a little bit because the name is very um, provocative, if you will. And I want you to explain uh, how you got it. So um, if I'm not mistaken, what is it? Humble opinions of an arrogant black arrogant man? Black man. That's okay. right. Yeah. Um, so that blog, the name came from this understanding that I felt like I had something to say. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the arrogance behind it is I felt like I had something to say that people should read. That's the arrogant part. 
But the, 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 that's the, all. Well, no, no. I had to hold my mule for a second. I'm gonna have to edit this a certain kind of way. This podcast will be edited for quality assurance purposes. Uh, well, it out. Get a little disclaimer floating through. This um, podcast will be edited because I was about to say that sounds like a whole lot of internet right now. Right, right. But I was I was humble enough to recognize that that's my opinion. Sure. So I so I wrote I put that as the name. So it was like whenever I start writing, because if you read some of that stuff, I go off on tangents and talk about I'm critical of, of certain things that I've seen or or my or my own experience. And I'm and I'm I try to be aware enough to know like this is just my opinion at the end of the day. Sure. Right. So it's the humble opinions of an arrogant black man that I but I do expect you to read it. You know, that, that's the arrogant <laughs> part. You, know? <laughs> you hold space for attention in that way. Right. I, I get right. it. But what's the difference between um, a healthy criticism and then people just being divisive in the body because you see a lot ask this because you see a lot especially with everybody having social media and uh, everybody having a microphone and, and everybody having some kind of podcast and you have all these these opinions that are floating out there and everybody thinks mm-hmm. they're entitled to an opinion and so I remember um, I think it was Bishop Tudor Bismarck one of my favorite uh, just he just he gets it and I think he has such a pure uh, pure spirit and so I remember him teaching a lesson about um being a man sent under authority and being a man called. And he was saying, just because I'm a man of authority doesn't mean I have authority in every space. And he talked about how, for example, if I came upon a car accident and someone is um, hurt, he said they wouldn't need a mighty apostle. They need an uh, ambulance. Like He's uh-huh. like, that's what they need in that space. So in a space, uh, a landscape, social media wise, where everybody thinks that not everybody, but a lot of people think that they have the right to weigh in on everything and some things are constructive and some things are divisive what do you uh delineate between the two uh constructive a couple of things one is timing Mm. um i think that's a big thing of what makes something constructive versus what is just criticism Mm -hmm. uh and then it's it's the unto like okay if you're telling me this what's what what does it get me to what's the Mm. next step that's good you know it's it's one thing to go like man you're doing those push-ups wrong you got you got anything else for me or are you just gonna leave me here and just letting me know that i've done it wrong or like hey let me show you a better way to do that or hey can i talk to you about this and let me show you a better way to do that mm-hmm. you know so i i think i think that's the deal i think with, with the internet it's it's not set up anymore for it to be constructive it's set up for you to criticize you because you got to be first oh, and sure. that doesn't and that doesn't require you to think it just requires you to, to just identify what's in front of you Wow, you know? whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't breeze past it. Does not require you to think. It just requires you to identify. So expound on it. It just requires you to be able to spot a thing and be like, that's a thing. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. That's that's the majority of people's hot takes. It's restating what they see in a way that they can make sure that I I've, I said it first. Look at that box on its side. That's messed up. All right. That's all we got. That's all we got. And we'll find a bunch of different ways for people to say that same thing. Uh, but you, it requires you to take a beat and some thoughtfulness to understand what's happening with that box or in the situation room. And by then, you're passed by. You know? So if you're, if, you're, if you're pushing for that, then it's like, well, all right, I see the box, but anybody figure out why it's there? Why don't we just go pick it up? Mm-hmm. Why, don't we, why don't we just solve this problem? Uh, the internet's not built for that. It's not built to solve problems. It's, it's built to just give out a hot take. In my opinion, I think that's what it's morphed into, social media, uh, to just give out kind of this hot take. And I was the first one to say it, the first one to see it. But rarely do I find it to be the first one in to be the productive one. 
Sure. Like even when I'm reading comments, I'm sorry. Go no, 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 go ahead. Even when you're reading comments. I have to scroll a little bit to find somebody who says something profound. The first, or or just interesting or valid. The first 10 or 15 of them, whatever the case may be, those early ons, they're just, I'm here. I did it. You right. You know, it, but it's nothing that is in, engaging in that, in that sense. So as a minister of the gospel, do you feel like, do you feel like you have any kind of responsibility to um, put the right content and the sound content into the ecosystem that is the social construct? Or do you feel like mm, that's not my lane and I'm not there. I'm just there as an observer. There, there was a time where I felt like I'm just at an observe, observe. I think because of my age, I go, this is all fake anyway. This ain't real. You know, I, I'm, I grew up, I still went outside. I rode sure. my bike. We chased sure. rainbows, right? Sure. You know, my, my niece and my nephew, uh, when I tell them that we were we were feral kids, we weren't supervised. They're like, "What? That that's a foreign thing." They were born with with cell phones, so they don't they don't have that kind of thing. Um, so now, because I see the influence that it's impacting on my generation, just just the world, I do feel a responsibility to put something out there that's a different voice. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes a voice of reason, um, sometimes just something to hopefully provoke a thought, um, but something that is not just simply. Uh, going along with the masses, like we, there's still space to critical think as a minister, as someone who engages scripture. Uh, that's part of that, that to be a part of that conversation. I think it's necessary now. But early on, I was like, mm, this ain't real. <laughs> it's Just... necessary, bro. It's hard. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's hard. I remember when first, like, I think I was a part of maybe, they called it like the first 1% of people who joined Twitter. Like back when Ashton Kutcher was tweeting and he, nobody knew what it was. I remember I had my magazine and one of my friends was like, you need a Twitter. I was like, what's a Twitter? And she set up a whole account. She started tweeting. Then I started using it. And then I remember even when I had my MySpace days and I would do uh, my blog and there was like 30,000 people connected to my MySpace page. And I remember I was writing about my purity and I was writing about church and I wasn't conscious of there's people because it was before you could come in the comments and say whatever you wanted. You had to mm -hmm. approve it. Da, da, da. So I was not aware. And I remember slowly but surely, I don't remember when it turned, maybe like three or four years in where I was like, I don't like the internet that much. <laughs> I was like, because it just felt, um, it felt uh, menacing at times. Mm -hmm. It felt menacing because there was all these different opinions and all these different hot takes and hot buttons. And like you said, everybody trying to, you know, so I had to learn over the course of time how to navigate. Subsequently, I learned, like you said, when to say, how to say, um, some things are not for me to say. And so um, I've been really lately, and I would love your opinion on this, uh, in this space of, um, I don't want to be just a philosopher, but I want to be a practitioner of the things that I preach and teach. Cause I feel like you have so many people in today's space that again, we have all of these wonderful poetic things to say online and we know all the mm -hmm. dust being thou, but when you ask people about how they live in it and if they're doing it, it's like, it's very nuanced. I don't know. What is your take? I think social media is countercultural to the gospel in the sense that it doesn't require you to share your story. So you can, someone else can share their story and then you can criticize and help and do give all the information on why they should be better or what they should be focused on, like to your point. <clears throat> but when you're a Christian, part of your, your, your role in that is to share your story. That's sure. your testimony. That, that becomes a way in which uh, in some ways we know that you're, this is a practical thing because you go, this is what God has done. This is what God is doing. Um, I was sharing with uh, someone the other night in Bible study 
and she, uh, she was talking about how she's struggling with a certain thing. And I was like, I know that struggle. I've had that struggle. Sure. And as opposed to me going, oh, I see what you're going through. You need to stop doing that. You know, you need to be focused on the Lord and just, you know, lift your hands and pray. It was like, no, no, I know exactly what that struggle is. Like. Absolutely. And, and let me tell you how I know it. And I was able to say like, here's my story. And we were just in there talking and people are coming in. And I was like, this stuff happened with my father. This is, the things, this is my behavior. This is how it impacted me. And this is where God delivered and stepped in. And it was still a journey, all these things, right? And I recognized that in that, I'm not even critiquing her. I'm just sharing, like, I agree that what you're in isn't good. And I also agree that Jesus can get you out of it, right? Mm. But, but sharing, my, sharing my story is something that I'm able to do in that space, right? The social media doesn't give us room for that, right? That's the way it's designed, there's, right. there's threads and reels and whatever. It's designed for us simply to comment, but not necessarily to engage and share. And I think that's why it's <clears throat> it's so toxic. You know, that's why it, it becomes places, like you said, it's menacing. Like it, it is like, I just can't, you know, everybody I know who is, a mature adult takes a break from social media. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, you know what that's an offering, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, and that should let you know just how toxic and dangerous it is that yeah. you have to make a decision. Hey guys, I'm going to log off for a few days. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to go clear my head. Like, like that was never, like think about all the things that we did growing up that were fun. And you never said, I just got to take a break from riding my bike. <laughs> like this. It is stressing me out. <laughs> you understand? But somehow this is marketed as fun, engaging, entertaining, but not, this is toxic, y'all. This is dangerous. This can really influence your behavior, your thought patterns. This can have you thinking you're the only one out here in the world going through this. Yeah. And, and that there are no answers for you and that this is just who you are. This is as good as it's going to get. Um, and people have to unplug from that. And that's a, that's a, a real thing. But I think it's, I think it's because of it's, there's no space to really share in a way that's engaging. Yeah. And when you do make those spaces, those people are usually quickly sought after. Oh. Uh, and, and unfortunately, they, they sometimes get taken down. Yeah. But, but that, I think that's the biggest thing. It's, it's, it doesn't give us the place. It's not conducive for sharing our story. What do you say to the people who um, are are employed or in some way get income from social media let's say not necessarily influence or maybe say they have a business and their platform their main platform of marketing or they have a ministry and their main platform getting the word out whatever the case may be is social media um what does healthy breaks look like you just get somebody else to take the toxicity for a week while you going to be <laughs> like what are you because you got to keep the ball rolling if, they, if you yeah got that, I, that hair business you're trying to get them bundles out you get what do you <laughs> what do it look like well, I, I hope if you're if you're doing it from the business aspect, you're engaging it as a business person, right? Mm-hmm. And so that that means you have certain hours you work and certain hours you don't work. If you're an entrepreneur, I know that means you're you're constantly on the grind. But even healthy entrepreneurs know how to take breaks. Mm-hmm. So if you're going like, all right, social media is my main my main lane, then you know other creators, influencers, if their business is on there, they know how to plan. Mm-hmm. You know, they know how to look. I'm gonna shoot this amount of footage and content, whatever the case, and it can drop. So your presence can still be in that space, but you don't have to be in that space. You have to be very aware of that uh, and intentional about doing that so you don't get caught in that trap of like, oh, I want to take a break, but I can't take a break. Kind of pivoting a little bit, but well, yeah, nah, pivot a little bit. So you mentioned before, just to back up about knowing 
really you're saying knowing how to use the tool in the proper way and knowing mm -hmm. what you possess and how you're supposed to show up in that space. Um, I think one of the interesting things and one of the things I want to talk to you about is how black men are presented in church and ministry and how they are asked to show up versus how they actually get to show up. I remember one time I heard um, a friend, friend of mine um, say that he felt like a uh, black church, at least for him, was being made very feminine. And he called it the feminization of, of worship and feminization of church. And he used to talk about how he, you know, really wished he had man church is what he <laughs> like church where you could just come in and just man church. I don't know what that means. I just felt like that's what he was trying to say, you know. <laughs> but um, do you think that there's truth to that? If so, what is the answer to uh the over is it is it getting better? Is it getting worse? Is there what is the role in space of a I know that's a loaded question, so I'm gonna let you process what is the role and space of the black man who is not the pastor in the church because you know some people be like oh you pastor of course there's a space for you because everybody listen to you but if you are you know the usher the gatekeeper i mean the um the uh the i don't know parking ambassador mm -hmm. i think well first let me let me qualify this by just saying i've been a minister since i was 16. so my seat in the church has always been in the pulpit or in the front row mm -hmm. since that so let me just say that before I flew people. Similarly, like, similarly, I understand. Yeah, you don't know my struggle, right? Yeah, but not but a I, teenager. But I, yeah, I had a little more adultness under my belt <laughs> yeah, when well, I was okay. when I was designated to the front row. <laughs> right. I I always tell you stories. But anyway, I have so I but I have seasons where I would just, you know, I'd visit churches and not tell anybody who I was. And in my experience in there, I can understand that 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 there's a there's this kind of feminization of it in, in the sense that um I think now it's changing. I think now because of people and conversations we're having where it's okay for black men to be healthy emotionally, um, that we're looking for other black men and creating safe spaces. This is what I think Christ Christian black men should do. Create spaces for black men to share um, what we're dealing with and going through and even how to serve in the, in the church. Uh, the majority of of men, I think that don't that are at church but aren't really serving at church because no one's really asking them. Sure. What what happens a lot of times for for us is we're we're just kind of told to be something. You're gonna be a deacon. You gonna we need some men to come pick this. You come over here and help do this, right? Um, as opposed to down. <laughs> right, as a, and just and it's and it's sure. in that sense, and it's just because we're we're one dimensional. You're a person with muscle, and you're a man, so go do this thing, sure. right? Um, and so we don't see a lot of our space in there. And so when we do look in there and we're looking for, uh, I guess that healthy masculinity, we, we don't, we don't see it because it's, it's only given to us to go pick this up or go stand outside or go get the door or something like that. Um, <clears throat> I think the answer for that is that we have to be more intentional about engaging black men on conversations of spirituality what that looks like, what it means to be charismatic or emotional, what it means to be healthy in your emotions and okay with that. Uh, <clears throat> and, and how that plays a part in their role in their home, uh, their role at work, uh, their peace of mind. And I think it has to be a more holistic approach. I, I think uh, black men have oftentimes just, we've been seen as one dimensional. Mm -hmm. Like I still, I still feel like in church, I'm fighting for people to see me as a whole person. 
Wow. You know, even wow. to this day, you know, uh, and, and I don't, I don't know the, the perspective of where women are. You can definitely tell me about how I would love to hear that. Uh, but I, but I do know with, with black men, if I, if, I go grab a brother, hey, what's going on with you? We'll have a dinner or get something to eat. And they'll still share their struggles. I'm struggling. Mm. And it's like, okay, what you struggling with? And they'll and they'll get it off their chest. But it's almost like the Nicodemus Jesus is like in secret, hey, let's meet up. I got something I gotta talk to you about. You know, <laughs> and not this, not this like, hey guys, let's get together and just have these conversations, you know. Yeah, and I think that that's something that we have to be like really intentional about because um, in just in our community and in America, like black men are marginalized. We are seen in one particular way uh, and then we fight to disprove it. And, and which is, which I think is crazy, you know, sure. uh, but it, but it's, it's something that we're aware of. Let me ask you this, because I've had this happen. There are some people that have kind of veiledly said, when you get married, I'll invite you X, Y, and Z. Like they want you to be, and especially in evangelical circles, they want you to be a certain space before they invite you to their their place. Have you had that happen? Uh, not, not, not directly. Explicitly, but yes, I've I've experienced that. Yeah, uh, I, I could they could read something I've I've written before or heard me in a conversation. And then they find out like, oh, you're not, okay, well, when, when, let me know, you know, let me know, you know, once you want, we'd love to have you at like, all right, so, <clears throat> you know, and you know, I'm, you know, like, so my, so like, okay, so my, my revelation or study or prep time now just isn't valid because I don't have a partner, mm. um, which I think is weird. But anyway, but yes, <laughs> I, I have, I have experienced, I have experienced that. Um, and, and I think it's weird because I think on, I think ministry on some level happens with revelation. Like I get, I get experience. I get walking through some stuff. I totally understand that. Yeah. Uh, but there are times where I really don't care if you've been through anything or not. Just do you got a word from the Lord? Can, oh, can, can you help me with this? Um, I don't need to know that absolutely. we've gone through the same thing, you know? And the, and the way I've always kind of reconciled that was when I was going through stuff and I was sick, I wasn't asking the doctors about, Hey, have you had this before? <laughs> uh, do you, do you know what this feels like? Like that wasn't my concern. It was just, I just need to get better. <laughs> you, you know? so, so you definitely tell me you ain't had COVID. That wasn't so right. bad. Right. Exactly. I need a COVID related doctor. <laughs> right. Get me someone who had COVID twice. Bring them in here. Like yeah. who ain't got taste in their mouth right now? That's who I want to talk to. Yeah. It's it just, it's just a weird thing that we do right. um, for some, for some yeah. reason. I'll, and I don't know if that makes us feel more comfortable, but I do think that that hinders I think it's because we. I'm sorry, I mean interrupt you. I was gonna say I no. think it's because we've heard it preached. I think some people have said, and and it was well meaning, and we shouted, but I think we've heard it preached. If you ain't been what I've been through, don't tell me. Blah 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 blah. And everybody forgets that you're listening to a 33 year old virgin tell you about all the issues of life. But yeah. you know, I, I understand. I think what people are trying to say is it will make me feel better if I can relate to you because I know you've been in my shoes, which is totally fine. But it doesn't, the, the blue chair is a blue chair void of who says it. So, exactly. Yeah, I get it. I get it. So last question. I want to talk a little bit about, uh, and you can you can talk about it. You can not talk about it. If you don't want to talk about it, I'll edit it in the, in the post. Okay. But, um, I recently, uh, the Southern Baptist Convention, you know where I'm going. They talked about women. Uh, basically, they don't agree with women being preachers. I actually was a member of a church that was, non-denomination on veneer but beneath the surface they were they were uh founded by 
Southern Baptist. They mm-hmm. gave the church money. The church would not be a building had they not. And we had women preachers. They're no longer Southern Baptists, but they were. They were they were not a nomination. So I've never officially been Baptist. Let me say that. But um, so the thought of uh, women not being preachers, do you agree? Do you not agree? Where do you fall on that? And and Rick Warren stands to to uh, take a stand against that that uh, you know, the, no. I guess they're uh, whatever they calling it, doctrine. Yeah, I I think this might be a hot or strong take. But I mean, if you feel like what I'm about to say is too much, you can just edit it out. Um, but I, I absolutely think that that is just wrong and, and ridiculous. I, I have a hard time reading scripture and not seeing women uh, who are operating uh, alongside or in front of men. Um, and so I don't know how they develop that or I have my, some ideas, you know, I think influences of colonialism and sexism and patriarchy, I think definitely influences that. Um, and I think uh, some, uh, I think, I don't want to go too far in that, but I think that's definitely something that influences their thinking in that, but also it's shaping their theology. This is why I think it's weird and I think it's dangerous because if that's the thing that's shaping it, that means there are things that you are reading in scripture that you are purposely and intentionally and willingly ignoring for the sake of your comfort and your tradition. Um, and, and so no, I, I, I think there are women who have, who have been preachers and ministers since, like I don't have an issue with that, since the beginning. Sure. I think if you, if you study the gospels, uh, it's hard for me not to see women active. I see it in the gospels, I see it in Genesis. One of the things I, I, I tell people when we, when we have these conversations, I've had them a lot, is one, um, y'all need to explain that Jacob and Rachel relationship to me then. If, if, if women ain't supposed to be in charge, because the way I read that story, she shows up and she tells somebody to go get this man some water. Right. right? She, she is not subservient. Right. She is running the show. You know, um, like help me understand that because she don't, she don't move in with Jacob. Jacob move in. Like he stayed there. Like, <laughs> he like, this, you know? this is where I could put my stuff yeah, in the closet. Yeah. We good. Like, so this, this, all this me right now? Like, yeah. So there, yeah. so Talk to me about these different dynamics that that are unfolding in sure. scripture where we see women who are uh, actively pursuing or going to get it and men alongside them like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to stick with you. You're a good woman. I'm going to rock with you. Um, I think those things uh, are ignored. I think that also I think that there is, this is I me mean, not just talking about women, but Black women specifically, that in the American church, there's a void of their voices um, to where I believe that like part of some of my role at the church that I serve at is to push those voices out forward, right? Amplify, thank you, uh, to, so that they're heard. I think the body of Christ is lacking because we don't get to hear uh, the, the revelation or the interpretation uh, or the theology that comes through the voices of Black women. Wow. And so when I, when I hear like Southern Baptists go like, well, we don't think women should preach, I think like, well, you don't know, you don't want to know the fullness of the gospel. Right. Jesus sits here and talks with a woman at the, at the well. Right. Man. And in that conversation, he elevates her. Sure. And she goes off and shares the good news. Come see a man. Mm. Right. You just you just going to throw that out because she's a woman now. Like she shouldn't have been just talking. Sweep it under the rug. Right. 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 The way y'all learn how that's supposed to work in the Southern Baptist conversation is she should have went and got her husband mm-hmm. and she should have asked if she could speak like Jesus comes and he breaks down those particular barriers and walls 
Um, and so for them to cling to that, I, I think is, is a way of them holding on to um, a glorious power, really. I mm. think it's a waste of time. Wow. I really do. Wow. Mm. And let the church say, amen. <laughs> that's it. And that's all. Last, last question. I know that was the last one, but this is the last, last question. So the show is called Let Me Find Out. And so what yeah. I'm asking this season is for everyone to tell me and give you time to process it, a story or a proverb that you have found that you were told in error and you wouldn't found out for yourself and what that truth was. So in other words, whether it was something when you were a kid, an adult, whether it had to do with ministry, whether it had to do with just life, that you were like, you know, oh, I've been told this, but you know what? Let me find out. And you found out and you were like, oh, no, that wasn't what I thought it was. Oh, okay. This is, uh, I don't know if you guys experienced this in your church, but when I say my church, I won't tell on my <laughs> Girl, At a certain point in my life, um, Edit that post. <laughs> yeah. the benediction would happen and they would say like may the lord watch between me and me as you go whatever 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 i don't know if you guys are familiar with that right mm -hmm. and it comes uh from genesis with jacob talking to uh what's his name uh, laban right and and i remember like hearing that i thought it was like this peaceful scene you know seeing your way and whatever the case may be. but when i like actually studied that i had to write papers on it, read in Hebrew and all this stuff. It turns out those are fighting words. That does not mean anything about peaceful. Right. They're they're literally saying, if I see you again and you cross this it's line. Up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. God gonna have to figure out which one. Like that that's what and I was like, these folks been lying to me all these years. <laughs> Them jokers was ready to square off if I was on site. That's what they were saying to each other. We didn't know no better. Carl. We did the best we could what we had. We did the best we could what like, we had. Wow. Well, in conclusion, is there is there anything you want to plug? Uh, you want to drop the name and address of your church again before we let you go? Thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. You did not yeah. think it robbery, huh? You'd be like, well, actually, that ain't what that means. So right. <laughs> anything you want to plug? Uh, yeah, I'll definitely plug my church, United Church uh, of Atlanta at 1084 Woodland Hills Avenue. Come check us out. We have services at 12 o'clock on Sundays and Bible study on Wednesdays at 7. Uh, I'll plug my blog, Humble Opinions of an Arrogant Black Man. You can find that on humbleop.wordpress.com. Uh, and then also you can follow me on Instagram at Carl, that's Carl with the K, 212. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you again for being a part and sharing your wisdom. It was bite-sized nuggets. I feel like I could have asked all kinds of questions and, and continue to start up controversy, but I think we have some effort. Okay, <laughs> anyway, thank you all so much for tuning in. As always, my name is Nikki Washington and you are listening to Let Me Find Out. All real, no fake, all gas, no brakes, ain't nothing else to say, but Let me find out.